Welcome back to the Arc of Rock podcast, brought to you by Killin' Time Productions, home of the War Room podcast, starring myself, Trevor Truitt, and Cameron Frizzell. It is now time for a new episode of the Arc of Rock. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another hour or so of rock and roll talk in an educational format. Who would have thought your loudmouth asshole himself here, Jared Cornelius? Welcome back to uh, my my love brainchild that you would that I'm kind of been neglecting lately. But uh, now that we've got this new Apple computer, it makes everything so much easier. I don't have to write everything like I'm fucking Ben Franklin. But uh, you know. Um, uh, before I get into uh, our episode today, which is over the uh, greatest guitar player ever, um, I just wanted to, uh, you know, I really want to uh, use this podcast to not only talk about the history of rock, but also keep everybody informed with what's going on. I mean, I'm based in Oklahoma, and, you know, I imagine a lot of people that listen to this podcast are probably going to, um, you know, be interested in the same kind of music as me if not rock and roll in general maybe even metal or i mean like fuck i like going to uh there's like hip-hop shows and everything which you know i'm not gonna lie to nobody i don't go to those very often but i mean i go to country concerts i just like going to live shows so i'm gonna use this podcast from here like going forward as like as a uh you know a way to plug some dates because you know i i spend most of my spare money on concerts because you know that's what i want to do i really don't have any urges to go like to a bar and blow money that you know for no reason anymore i if i'm gonna do that kind of shit i'd rather go to a concert which is just a great way it's just a fun time you know i've been to so many concerts in the last three years since cam and i've been together and uh you know there's a lot coming up that we're going to be going to. And, like, with me, I like to keep an eye on, of course, everything locally. Like, I'm, I'm in BA, which is a suburb of Tulsa. So Tulsa has a few music venues, uh, you know, some they have even some hidden ones that some people don't even check. Because, you know, there's a lot of fucking jerk-offs out here and even in the surrounding area that they'll go to the shows at the BOK. And, like, I like... I'll go to shows at the BOK Center because there's sometimes artists come that come through that, you know, I can't miss. But I also don't feel like I'm amongst a lot of fans. And I'm not hating on anybody. I mean, just the fact that people paid the money, which, you know, is a fucking crime with how expensive tickets are, you know, uh, it makes it near impossible for uh, 
struggling people that get to go to shows, which back in the day, I mean, like, if you're if you're a big-time music fan and, you know, you're struggling, which I get it, you know, concert tickets, it's a luxury to get to, you know, buy because it's not a necessity, but, you know, unfortunately, which it should be because music is an art and I think it's good to uh, pay money to go see it, but, you know, it should be reasonable. I mean, goddamn, I mean, paying fucking 600 I mean, Me and Cam are going to see Metallica at AT&T Stadium. It's a two-day deal, which, you know, I gotta admit, um, it's almost like a mini-festival because uh, Metallica is headlining both nights, and, um, you know, it's we paid about three eighty-five dollars piece, I think, for the tickets, maybe... Uh, that sounds about right. I think it was like three eighty nine with some tax. I'm not gonna go all fucking Rain Man on you. You know what I'm saying? But like, uh, we're going to see them. They're headlining both nights. It's Friday and Sunday, so that's cool. Um, we're not gonna be right up next to the stage like we usually are. But you know, it's fucking. You know, you got to do what you got to do. But I mean, just to be where we're at, which is gonna be considerably, you know, a good distance away from where the stage is, which I don't care. You know, but like the first night, it's um, Mammoth, which is uh, if you're if you're not familiar. Uh, it is Wolfgang Van Halen from uh, the son of Eddie Van Halen. He also got his start. He started playing bass in the band, and he's a multi instrument. Uh, he's a multi uh, instrumentalist, I guess. I don't know. Um, I'm trying. I've been. Oh, I've sounded smart the whole time until that, you know. But you know. Anyway, his band's called Mammoth, and uh, they're gonna be the first band playing, and then Pantera, which uh, it's the they they brought it back to life. It's Phil Anselmo and Rex Brown, the two original, two of the original guys that are still alive, and then Zach Wild, which I just saw recently, and still incredible, and then uh, Charlie Bonanti, who I just saw with Anthrax, which was incredible, and um, it's uh, I'm very excited for that day. And the second day is cool too. It's uh, Ice Nine Kills, Five Finger Death Punch, and then Metallica again is headlining. So. Um, I'm excited about it. I've never, Metallica is a bucket list uh, band for me. Um, probably be the only time I pay this kind of money to go see them, unless it's just one of the greatest shows ever, you know. But I'm just like, I love seeing bands. Like, there are, so, there are a lot of bands I've seen multiple times, like Black Label Society. Anything Zach Wilde is in, I'm gonna go fucking see. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm gonna, if BLS comes through Zach Sabbath, if he's with Ozzy, which he just retired, which is just, you know. I lost Tom Brady and Ozzy on the same fucking time. The same day, I mean, February 1st. But anyway, um, but yeah, Cam and I are doing that. That's probably going to be like something like an end of the summer type uh, vacation for the two of us. And um, that same week, if you're, if you're listening and uh, you don't mind driving, because like, listen, if it's five hours and under, you can't be afraid to fucking drive, because, you know, sometimes these bands aren't going to come any closer, you got to fucking go, Texas isn't as far as you think it is if you go to Dallas or the surrounding areas, or or Arlington, it's really not that bad of a drive from Tulsa, and I think it's worth it if you really want to go see a show, I mean, like, you'll pay some money in gas, but it's really not as bad as you think it is, but, um, Pantera and Lamb of God are going to be playing the same week in Rogers, Arkansas, which they have a few. I'm going to keep them in my uh, rotation of uh, venues to keep an eye out for shows because, like, it's only a couple hours from here. 
and two hour drive ain't fucking nothing. Whenever I started dating Cam, I used to drive fucking two hours every Friday after I got off work to go see her in Stillwater, and then I got up Monday morning and drove straight to fucking work. You think a two hour drive fucking scares me? It's a fucking joke. It's a joke. But anyway, um, so, and then also ZZ Top and Leonard Skinner. So, the, but anyway, if you live in Tulsa, keep an eye out for your local venues like Tulsa Theater, which used to be the Brady Theater. Um, the BOK Center, of course. The Vanguard is an incre- is great small venue, and there's always like a, a hidden gem every once in a while that come through there. I just saw Soulfly, Body Box, Caliber, and um, oh, and uh, Half Heard Voices. They were pretty good. It was cool. It was like four different types of metal bands playing. It was awesome. Um, the Vanguard. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, the Shrine. They sometimes do. They used to have, like, really cool artists come there. I haven't seen any in a while, but I, I would definitely... It's a cool place to go hang out, especially... Uh, I played there a couple times with the, the band I used to play in. But um, I would definitely keep an eye out for those. Uh, but in OKC, OKC is such a fast drive, and it, all the good venues are downtown. I mean, the Paycom is basically like the BOK, and like everything's super fucking expensive. But the Criterion is an, is fucking awesome. The Diamond Ballroom is probably my personal favorite to go to. Prices of beer five bucks a beer. You can't fucking beat it. And if you're a metal fan, the best metal bands usually end up playing there. But like you know, you got to keep Kansas in mind too. It's an hour or so. It's an hour and a half or so. You know, in a Kansas, and it's not that bad of a drive. Arkansas, not that bad. Fort Smith's got some venues. Um, but yeah, just if you're looking to um, go to more concerts and get back out there, I highly recommend it because I try to go to concerts as much as I possibly can. I keep always keep an eye out on casinos because like uh, a lot of good classic rock acts still go and play, and they're fucking incredible. I'm telling you right now, out of all the bands I've ever seen live, nobody sounds better than classic rock bands that are still fucking playing right now. You know why? Because uh, they wouldn't get any work if they didn't sound good. It ain't like fucking other than Motley Crue. And I, you know, I don't hate Motley Crue, but here's the thing. Vince Neil should be ashamed of himself being in the shape that he's in, charging people those fu- that price, those prices for those tickets. It's un- it's a fucking travesty, and like that. At this point, I wish they could just go away. And then if Tommy and Nikki really want to keep playing, just start would just start a band with John Five and get in a different singer, call it a different band, and like I bet you get a lot more respect and play smaller clubs. You don't have to, you don't get to play fucking Dodger Stadium anymore, you old fucks. You guys haven't ever sounded good live, but you got away with it back then because you had moves. And at least Vince can keep his breath a little bit better. I personally have never seen a good live. Uh, concert video of Motley Crue is now that I think about it. Like, Vince has never sounded good live. He just looked like, he just, like, all the girls wanted to fuck him so much that the guys didn't mind how bad he sounded. And the band has always been good. But anyway, uh, I would definitely go check out those, which I'm not calling Motley Crue classic rock. I'm talking more, more about guys like Foreigner, Cheap Trick. They're both coming to the Katusa Hard Rock in april and may i believe somewhere around then march and april just keep i would check out for those um just bands like that i mean the guess who are coming i believe grand funk railroad was just here back in january um but yeah just keep keep an eye out for that and if anybody wants to uh hit me up and like you know ask me for a good venue recommendation trust me i've been to a lot um 
I make it a point to go to a lot of shows because uh, I think it's important to go see live music because live music keeps music alive. And what's more fun than going to a concert, taking an edible, smoking some... You know, shows in Oklahoma are fun because weed's legal. Going out of state's kind of sketchy, you know what I'm saying? But, like, uh, which, you know, I've been pretty smart about not bringing shit because, you know, why take a chance? There's no need to. There's no need to. You know, you you might bump into somebody at the concert that's like, hey, I just, you know, I have a bag of this shit that you can have. And you're just like, oh, my God. Like, that's what you run into, you know? But anyway, let's get to... uh, Let's get to the show. Let's get to the podcast tonight. Um, today we are going over the Jimi Hendrix experience. Now, now, when I say this, I'm not just going to talk about Jimi Hendrix himself. I'm going to talk about, and I think I'm going to do two episodes because he did have a group, a little super group that he did called the uh, Band of Gypsies, and uh, I think I'm going to do an episode over them. But I'm going to focus on the experience. I'm going to go over young Jimi Hendrix's life, as I always do. And, uh, you know, listen, I understand for some of y'all that are like, oh, you know, who doesn't know? You know what? Some people don't know a lot about people, like, in music. They just know the music of them. You know what I'm saying? Like, they don't know. They I, I have to go deep into this shit. If I, didn't go in, if I don't go deep for people, they would never think to look this shit up, you know? So you can't just expect people that know people to know everything about them people, you know what I'm saying? I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. So anyway, we're going to start off talking... Jesus. We're going <laughs> to... We're going to start off talking about the man himself, number one in my book, and according to the Rolling Stone top 100 guitarists of all time list he's one of the most important artists of all time let's get into it so uh jimmy hendrix was born oh i'm gonna try not to do that in my chair jimmy hendrix was born his real name was james marshall hendrix for those of you that didn't know uh november 27th 1942 um as a solo artist, and by a solo artist, I mean, you know, this is time, you know, being a successful artist, uh, it was only a span of about four years. And in that four years, he was able to accomplish so much that he's widely considered the most influential guitar player of all time. Um, he did shit that wasn't done for fucking a decade after he came. And there were a lot of, I mean, obviously you got guys like Jimmy Page and all of them, but nobody did things that Jimmy Hendrix did to the guitar in his style. Um, but, uh, let's get into some interesting facts about his young life. Uh, he was born in Seattle, Washington. Um, he began playing guitar whenever he was 15. Um, he was in, he was of course inspired by, uh, early rock and blues. Um, he really, he, you know, you could tell by his style, um, that he loved amps that were, uh, you know, high on volume and gain, and uh, he 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 really liked to uh, take advantage of uh, feedback uh, with the amps, which is what caused all that. Whoa! Like I, I can't really do it as a human. I'm not an amplifier, but uh, but anyway, he uh, he started off as a young age playing a lot of that early blues, muddy waters. Um, of course, uh, you got. I'm sure, and that, but what's interesting about Jimi Hendrix is he learned how to play by ear. 
you know, playing, you know, which is what I, which is interesting whenever I read this, he, uh, he learned how to play by ear by playing on single notes, like not necessarily playing it the way that it was played on the recording or the way it was played, like playing so playing single notes along, like playing along the songs, like uh, by artists like Elvis Presley, Muddy Waters, BB King, Howlin' Wolf, Robert Johnson. Um, a lot of guys from his era were influenced by the guy, those guys. I mean, you know, we've talked about them, guys. You know, with the Chapter One shit. Uh, Peter BB uh, King is also a personal favorite guitar player of my father and I's. Um, so shout out to him, rest in peace. But anyway, um, holy fuck, Jesus Christ! Computers are so fucking bright, like it's giving me a headache looking at this shit. Like I'm, I'm trying to read the shit that I typed. But this damn thing's so bright, I gotta scoot it back. One second. Okay, there we go. Sorry, Jesus. How unprofessional. But anyway, here's some some more on Jimi Hendrix. Uh, there was this interesting... So, he is of... Uh, this is just some interesting facts. He's of uh, African-American and Irish ancestry. You know, weird combination. Um, his paternal grandfather, Bertrand Philander Ross Hendricks... He was born in 1866. He was born, and the reason this is relevant is just a fun fact. He was born out of an extramarital affair between a woman named Fanny and a grain merchant from Urbana, Ohio, or Illinois, one of the wealthiest men in the area at the time. Now, if that doesn't sound like an old country or blues song to me, I don't know what does. Because of, because of that, um, his grandmother... Here's an interesting fact about his grandmother. Her name was Zenora or Nora Rose Moore, and she was a dancer and vaudeville performer. So Jimmy was fucking born to be in show business. He just was. Um, so in 1941, after moving to Seattle, Al met Lucille Jeter at a dance. They married in 1942, um, not long after Jimi Hendrix was born. Um... So, going forward, uh, like I said, he started playing... So, that's just some interesting uh, tidbits about uh, his uh, early ancestry. Um, he's, of course, you know, a descendant of slaves. And uh, But anyway, um, in, in 1958, at age 15, as I was saying, he acquired his first acoustic guitar for five fucking dollars. I could not go find a decent acoustic guitar for less than 200 right now, I guarantee it. It's fucking awesome. It's an equivalent to 47. So even then, 47 for an acoustic isn't a bad fucking deal. Oh, inflation is a motherfucker, isn't it, isn't it folks? But anyway, uh, so Jimmy, uh, he started practicing pretty hardcore whenever he was 15. And um, he'd play for hours daily, which again damn cell phones taking attention from people making them not that good at guitar but then again we can also just watch youtube and learn how to do things that took guys years to fucking do but you know it's uh i think it's a little bit more special whenever someone's just sitting there and, you know coming up with it out of uh, their imagination so that's what i try to do more i try not to watch instructional videos but hey let me stop you know blowing myself and get back to Jimi hendrix here's about him um 
Apparently, the first tune he learned how to play was the television theme, Peter Gunn. Great show. Check it out. Um, so him, he would jam with one of his friends, uh, his name Sammy Drain, and uh, Sammy's uh, brother who played keyboard. They would jam together. And, you know, I remember having friends that I would jam with whenever I was in elementary, and it was a lot of fun. Um, he went to his first concert in 1959. Uh, he saw a show by Hank Ballard and the Midnighters in Seattle. Um, that's whenever he met the group's guitarist, Billy Davis. And at that time, Davis showed Jimmy some uh, guitar, uh, some shit on the fucking guitars, you know, uh, slapped some game on him. And, uh, you know, he got Jimmy a fucking gig with the Midnighters. See, that's how shit, you know, you sometimes you just gotta get out there. I gotta get out there, man. I gotta fucking get a band going. But anyway, um, you know, they would remain friends until uh, Jimmy's death later on. But uh, Jimmy formed his first band not long after uh, acquiring his first guitar. And uh, the name of the band was the Velvetones, which isn't bad, honestly. It's very late 50s. But uh, because he didn't have an electric, he could barely be heard over the sound of the group. You know, I get it. But, uh... You know, realizing he really needed a fucking guitar, his uh, dad, uh, you know, finally gave up and uh, bought him a white Supra Ozark, which is a beautiful guitar. Um, old school as fuck. Uh, I had actually never even heard of it whenever I first read this. And uh, it's very interesting that, um, like, those old styles... The way that they admit sound and like the way they would play out of those old fucking amps it was just a great sound. Um, but anyway, uh, he was his first. So the first gig he ever pa- played live was with an unnamed band in the uh, Jaff Room of Seattle's Temple de Hirsch. But they fired him between sets for showing off. You know, it's fucking lame. Um, he joined the Rocking Kings and played professionally at venues such as the Birdland Club, where his guitar was stolen backstage overnight. And then his dad bought him a red silver tone Dane Electro. Great fucking guitar also. So not long after, uh, you know, do the fucking math. Uh, Vietnam just starts whenever he's old enough to go to war. So at 19, um, the military, uh, well, first of all, Hendrix was, uh, you know, a bit of a, uh, you know, him being a rock star and all. Uh, he uh, got in trouble with the law, and uh, you know, he had he's on his like third strike or something, or whatever. And uh, the authorities basically were like, "Listen, which is honestly not a bad deal." It says go to prison or join the army. Um, which, you know, honestly for me, that's just like, well, can I kill myself? Because I don't want to do either. But uh, he joined doing the army, so he enlisted in 1961. Went through eight weeks of basic training in California. He was assigned to the one of one uh, the hundred and first Airborne Division and stationed in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Um, dude, holy fuck, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. If you fucking put the F, if you put the K in front of the if put Kentucky in front of Fort Campbell, it's KFC. How fucking crazy is that? Um, he was there for two weeks, uh, and then he went to jump school, and then he get then he you know. He was he went there, so he was actually really in. A lot of people don't know that about him. He was in the military, and um, you know, he was. Which I didn't know this during Vietnam. A lot of guys had guitars and they were allowed to, so he was always playing there, and he got in trouble 
because he was neglecting his duties um, by because he was playing all the time, which is kind of comical if you think about it. It sounds like something somebody would write in a movie, but that's the truth apparently. But also he got made fun of, which is you know if you can make you can totally see the kind of guys you know they got no facial hair, they got their slicked hair back, they're smoking a cigarette, they're all the same kind of converse on. But uh, he actually ended up uh, uh, finding a couple guys uh, that were fellow servicemen to jam with. Uh, fellow serviceman Billy Cox heard Hendrix playing and uh, was impressed by him. And uh, he borrowed a bass guitar. I love that he borrowed a bass guitar. I bet he stole it. Um, but uh, he actually said Hendrix uh, was a combination of John Lee Hooker and Beethoven, which is fucking wild. But anyway... A year after uh, joining the military, uh, he completed his paratrooper training, and uh, he was awarded with the prestigious Screaming Eagles patch. By February, his personal conduct had begun to draw criticism from his superiors. They labeled him as an unqualified marksman and often caught him napping while on duty and failing to report for bed checks. Um, apparently, uh, one of his uh, generals decided to discharge him because he could see that uh he just didn't wasn't interested in the army and had no he didn't want to be there and uh so they gave him an honorable discharge and just told him to get out of there so you know he's like fuck that let's go back to let's go back to the united states and get this music shit going which is great because uh you know i think that if you served you can't get which this isn't a political podcast, I'm not Rush Limbaugh, but I'm pretty sure that if you serve in the military for a certain amount of time, you don't have to serve again if you don't want to. That could be speculation, though. Moving forward. Um, he moved... Uh, sorry. Lost my place here. So Hendrix actually was uh, famous for playing with his teeth, and the guy that he saw doing that was in Seattle, where he saw Butch Snipes playing with his teeth, and um, another guy named Alfonso Baby Boo Young would also perf like perform this. So um, Hendrix learned how to play this so he wouldn't be upstaged, and. Uh, <laughs> it's just hilarious that uh, that he's like the Tom Brady of guitars. He learned how to do it better and uh, you know in a different way than anybody. But uh, anyway, so Hendrix spent, which is a, here's another thing that a lot of people don't know about Jimi Hendrix. He spent a lot of time as a studio musician. He would play for a lot of fucking different people, and uh, he he played as he like he was a backing musician for various artists uh, in R&B and blues musicians uh, all alike. You got Wilson Pickett, Slim Harpo, Sam Cooke, Ike and Tina Turner, Jackie Wilson. I wonder if Jimmy ever saw fucking Ike fuck Tina up, you know. He should have probably stepped in. But anyway, um, Hendrix, though, just like, much like being in the Army, he was never meant to follow rules, and he couldn't stand being told what to do by band leaders. So he tried to go out on his own. And, uh, you know, he met his uh, the woman that would go on to become his girlfriend, who was from Harlem, and she had connections in New York and uh, in the music in the uh, New York music scene, and hooked him up and, you know, was able to uh, get him uh, 
shelter whenever he was out there and uh you know really was encouraging for him um he also met uh the allen twins arthur and albert allen he met arthur and albert allen they're twins you know it's very confusing a a a triple a um but uh, in 1964, Hendrix actually won a f- uh, first prize in an Apollo Theater amateur contest, which is big time. Uh, Apollo Theater was always a big venue. Um, he So he continued to play on the Harlem club circuit with the connections he made from his girlfriend. And uh, he would sit, in, he sat in with uh, various bands. And, um, and thanks to a, uh, a former associate of uh, Joe Tex, Ronnie Isley granted Hendrix an audition that led to an offer to become the guitarist with the Isley Brothers backing band, the IB Specials, which he readily accepted. So Hendrix played with the Isley Brothers for a while um, in the early 60s. And uh, the first single he actually... Um, recorded was a song called testify that was with the isley brothers and uh it was released in june but it failed the chart um he also provided art uh music for artists like uh don covey and then uh you know he got tired but after a while he got tired of uh, touring and playing with the isleys because they played the same thing every night he said and so after that, he joined Little Richard's band. That's right. He fucking played in... It's like, Jimi Hendrix, this is why I did him so early. He is so important in the early sound and just, like, the early world of rock. He was there even before 67, whenever he really got out on his own. Like, he played with Little Richard, the Isley Brothers, fucking Slim Harpo, Ike Turner, Jackie Wilson, who's an incredible guitar player. Um, just, like, he was around all that shit. So, like... It's just super impressive that uh, he was able to break out on his own after playing with so many big artists. And he would actually go on to surpass them, I believe, um, as far as, like, prowess and everything. Um, but let's get into the experience, man. I, I want to listen to some fucking music, so we're going to start listening to some goddamn music. Um, I just want to go through the uh, Hendrix uh, and the experiences there, uh their albums here um the bass player for uh jimmy hendrix in the experience is uh noel 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 redding and um he like and then the drummer is mitch mitchell and uh i just gotta tell you um it's one of the best it's one of the best rhythm sections of all time without a doubt uh we're gonna go through their shit um he uh, they met whenever they were they actually he met noel redding in an audition for a band called the new animals and um you know hendrix was impressed with netting with redding's knowledge of blues progressions and he also liked his hairstyle so uh he was asked to play bass guitar in Jimmy's band, which he agreed because Hendrix just had this way of mesmerizing people. I mean, apparently, 
Where is it at? God, I keep losing my fucking spot. Cam would be making fun of me because she knows that I'm terrible at the computer. But anyway, um, the girlfriend of uh, Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones, um, she became like she was uh, quoted as being mesmerized by Jimi Hendrix's playing. So it wasn't hard for him to attract guys to want to play with him. So you know when he got Noel Redding to agree. Um, what the fuck god it happened again alright guys you know you guys really gotta listen to me because you love me because I'm a fucking idiot but anyway uh, Chaz Chandler my Jesus Christ he was basically Jimi Hendrix's manager Um, he also just uh, he got him in touch with Mitch Mitchell who would become the drummer in the experience. Jesus. There we go. That's all I was trying to fucking do. Um, anyway, let's get into some fucking music by them. Uh, the first album that they put out, which is like, you know, there's Jimi Hendrix and then there's Jimi Hendrix and the experience. So, class, if you will go to Jimi Hendrix and the experience, scroll over. There should be three total. It's Are You Experience, Axe as Bold as Love, and Electric Ladyland. Those are the three albums. Um, there are live albums. Uh, they're good. There's a lot of them. We're just going to go over the three studio albums. I'm going to play a couple songs from each. How's that sound, class? You can listen to them yourself. Um, so, obviously at this time, there had been nothing like the music that they created. Um, I, I mean... I remember, uh, I remember whenever I first heard it as a kid, that, uh, I remember when I first heard it as a kid, I knew that there was something different about it, and, um, I've always been attracted to the sound of their, of the sound of the band, I mean, it's not all Jimmy, but obviously he's a big contributing factor, common denominator, as I like to call him, um, here's, just, let's just listen to the first song, which every, which is a classic, Jimi Hendrix song. First song off of Are You Experienced? It's every time I listen to it, I got I was in a trance, man. I felt like I was on some purple haze. But um, are you experienced? Um, 
there's nothing like it. It's one of, I mean, I know there's only a few, but like with the experience, it's it's probably the best album they did. Um, I love Axe's Bold as Love. Um, that's probably my favorite. My definitely my favorite album cover. It's cool as shit. Uh, Electric Lady Electric Ladyland is fucking awesome. Uh, but Are You Experienced is probably their best album. Um, I mean, up next at the track three, we got another fucking just all time classic that you probably hear in classic rock radio all the time. So you can hear the obvious blues influence in the music, and um, what is fascinating to me is the way that no, uh, that Mitch Mitchell plays to what Jimmy and Noel do. Because Noel, Noel Redding, I don't know if it's Noel or Noel, I'm going to call him Noel, um, the way that, um, I think it might be Noel, Noel... The way that he and Jimmy plays obvious blues, you know, like that's blues as fuck. But Mitch Mitchell, if you listen to him, he's just fucking going off. He's playing. He is such a jazz. He's a jazz drummer in a rock band, a blues rock band. It's inc- it's it's great the way that he just knows how to fill behind what Jimmy's playing and it's incredibly hard to play that style to blues music because you know you basically have to do Phil the whole time and um you know the way that he was able to uh back up Jimmy with that kind of style is incredible because he didn't take away like there's the three-piece bands really are just like usually some of the tightest bands and when I mean tight like you can just tell it's just, it's a fucking machine. All moving parts are equal. It's incredible. Um, here's one of my favorite uh, songs off of the album. It's uh, uh, something that kind of, it kind of sounds early punkish. You know what I mean? It kind of sounds like early punk uh, to me. <laughs> You see what I mean? Like, it's it's so fast, and, like, 
It's almost kind of like it's got like the the speed and uh, pace of like surf rock, which if you know it with surf rock, it's like the sound like like uh, think of Dick Dale and the Dale Tones, uh, the way that he like distorted the fuck out of it, and like it was like honestly like they used to. Have to they used to throw him out of bars he was hired to play at because it was too loud, and Hendrix really did a lot of shit just like that, and um, you know they just kind of like meshed all together, which a lot of that shit is what kind of formed early punk. Hendrix, uh, his influence reached all. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, that, that isn't just it. But then you got shit that's just like this song to me is just this is Jimi Hendrix. This isn't like oh you can tell he's playing something that's kind of. Uh, you know, sounds like Muddy Waters. Now, this is fucking Jimi Hendrix. Like, that song right there, there's nothing... It's like... It's kind of like after Zeppelin 1 was put out, you go like, oh, yeah, I mean, they're just doing blues in a different style. And then Zeppelin 3 and 4. That's Zeppelin, man. Like, that's their sound. You know what I'm saying? Like, you evolve into your own thing after after your influences kind of drive out. Um, And then, of course, you've got just straightforward blues... some of the best as some of the best you've ever heard So, as you can tell, like, you know, it's almost Zeppelin-like the way he plays the blues. It's fucking awesome. It's like whenever you just, you know, there's a 50-50 split between um, rock and blues. I think, you know, sometimes the rock is uh, tips the scales a little bit more, which, is, which adds for a great sound. There's so many, I mean, there's 18, there's 17 songs on the uh, album great album to go through and it's a great place to start and you know, just start from the top and then work your way down um it's a great album uh i would definitely recommend it now let's get into some you know 
I see for me are you experience is so universally known that uh you know talking about it you know I could talk about it ad nauseum but like I really want to get into these other two albums because like yeah there's a song or two off each that is uh universally known but like some people don't even know a lot of the album songs on these albums so um uh x is bold as love uh let's check this out this song is called spanish castle magic um check out the album cover for this if you've never seen it uh it's really fucking badass it's uh he's it's his take on um hindu like it like he's got all the different hindu gods it's a it's his take on hindu art it's really cool um here's a uh, spanish castle magic which is one of my favorite songs off the album God damn, I haven't heard that fucking song in a while. That is that's some good shit, man. Like that like you know, and I I would even go as far to say this. I know earlier I said that he was a big influence on punk. Punk, whether metalheads and rock and roll guys want to admit it is a huge influence on metal. It just is. Um you got Black Sabbath who's the king, the god of fucking metal. That's uh, I'm never going to say they're not. Um but just listen to how heavy that shit is. I mean, like, you know, we did Cream. Um, and I think Cream and Hendrix are very... The style of music is very similar to me. Besides, I think Hendrix and Clapton are distinguishably different. Um, but, I mean, you just listen to how heavy it is. And the bass is just so fucking deep. It's almost Sabbath-like. Like, you got... Cream, Sabbath, and Zeppelin. Not sorry. Cream, Sabbath, and Hendrix all have a similar sound to me. The way they blend the blues with a heavy rock sound. Like you know, it's all fucking relative, man. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, here's one of my personal favorites off the song. It's a little under two minutes. Um, this song's called "Ain't No Telling." Check this out.
I remember I used to listen to that song every day on the way to school and college. That's such a good fucking song. And here's a really nice song to listen to. If it's outside, you're raining. You know, let me set it up for you. It's raining. You're smoking a joint. You're doing, you know, you're not supposed to. Wait, you know, you're doing it anyway. And, um, you want to get all sentimental for no reason. This is a great song for that. It's such a like the way that he produced the sounds behind that music. It's just so trippy and psychedelic, man. It's fucking groovy, dude. Uh, fucking, I can't wait to get off this podcast because I'm gonna go listen to this shit again because that's what's great about his music. You can just listen to it over and over again and never gets old. Now we've got probably the most popular song from the album, one that has been covered by. Famous guitar players all over the world. Let me know if you can tell what it is, even though you can't say anything to me. sending that to a girl that I really like thinking that she would really like the song but I don't know if she ever even listened to it anyway <laughs> don't feel bad for me don't you dare feel bad for me don't feel bad for me I, I refuse to accept sympathy alright for this next album probably his second most least unknown um, um, Electric Ladyland, which is just a badass name. And that'd be a good name for a band if it wasn't an album that's famous. Um, I remember my brother had this album, and I used to listen to it a lot. 
Uh, my brother was cool back in the day. Now he's just a fucking, you know, asshole. I'm just kidding. Um, but no, he had this album, and uh, I used to listen to it. And um, I remember the song that I remember listening to all the time because I thought it just sounded fucking badass because of the buzzing sound of the guitar was Crosstown Traffic. Here we go. I used to listen to that song all the time whenever I was in elementary school. I'm telling y'all, I've been in, I've been a fucking rock and roll diehard brother since fucking I was a kid, man. Ozzy Osbourne, all that shit, and a lot of Jimi Hendrix too. Um, since I was a kid, it's never gotten old. But um, uh, a lot of the songs on this album, uh, it's almost like fucking poetry, man. I mean, you know, of course you got rockers like that and everything, but a lot of it's just like super fucking like i love the way that he writes some people don't like it i do um but uh here's a song called that uh here's a of course a famous cover of his uh that he does of uh a bob dylan song which i mean you'll never even want to listen to bob dylan's version after listening to fucking uh i mean of course this is a famous song so i'm sure you have heard it but i'm gonna play it anyway here's all along the watchtower You know, um, I've long said that the guitar solo in that, um, or just not long after, uh, is one of the best guitar solos ever. Um, there's nothing technically incredible. It's not long. It's not, you know, it's just so fucking good, man. You feel every ounce of it in your body. It's like the Comfortably Numb solo. You feel every note. Um, and of course, I can't, uh not show y'all before we close out tonight and uh this will probably be the song we close out with um it's been covered another one of these songs like hendrix has been covered by fucking pretty much everybody and um especially a lot of uh 
guitar players that blended rock and blues like he did. Um, Robin Trower, Eric Johnson, Jeff Beck, which R.I.P., um, Stevie Ray Vaughan, um, I mean, who hasn't, my dad says that this, his version of this song is better. I disagree, but, uh, anyway, uh, this is the song we're gonna use to close out, and, um, we're gonna get to more, uh, I'm gonna keep reading up on some stuff and have some more information for the next episode, because we're gonna go over the band of Gypsies, um, the band that he basically was playing with, uh, whenever he died in 1970, so, um, we're gonna go over that, I really want to go into a lot of deep information with that, because the experience has been covered so much, and, like, you know, as far as information goes, uh, you know, there's a lot of cool stories and everything, and, of course, you know, the famous Eric Clapton and Cream watched Hendrix open, whenever he opened for him, they watched him play before they played, and, uh, you know, they were so inspired that they wrote the song Sunshine of Your Love, so, and you can tell that that's a very Hendrix-style type song, you know, I could see it being his, but anyway, um, Thank you guys for listening to The Ark of Rock, Jimi Hendrix Part 1. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe uh, this podcast. Um, I'd like to start having guests on that are fans of bands that I'm going to be talking about and uh, maybe even just, you know, not make it as so much as an informational thing is more of a, uh, you know, just, you know, talking about the band, favorite songs, you know, having good conversation over it. So uh, maybe have my father on. But anyway, uh, here's Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. Thank you all for listening. And uh, don't forget to go see live music. Um, There's a lot of good uh, concerts coming soon. Um, I will go over those at the beginning of next uh, podcast. I promise I will. I'll have a list. But anyway, thank you all for listening. I'll see you all next time.